We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love. If you would turn there, please. You know, I always try to spend some time in prayer when the worship is going on, and I just felt like there are a few here this morning, maybe more than a few, that you're feeling very, very condemned, and you're feeling very, very unworthy, and uh, the enemy is just running all over you. And uh, I believe the Lord would have me to let you know that he loves you. And he loves you very much. We're not perfect, we'll never be perfect, but we serve a perfect God. And so um, I just want to pray for all of us and for any of you that might be um, suffering that way this morning. So let's pray again. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters and those who are going through tough things. Life is life, and sometimes it deals us some pretty harsh blows. But Father, I know the one that the enemy uses most is that self-condemnation, that uh, never feeling good enough, never feeling uh, like we're going to succeed. And sometimes that pushes into a place, pushes us into a place where um, the enemy tries to tell us that God doesn't love us, that the Lord doesn't care about us, and that nobody around us cares about us. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to be able to Distinguish the difference between possibly self pity and then just believing the lies of the enemy because we know you're always there. We know that you always love us. Lord, if the cross doesn't prove your love for us, I don't know what will. And I just pray that you give those who are feeling down um, a vision of eternity, a vision of heaven, a vision of you. So, Lord, may you help us. We're just imperfect people living in an imperfect world and trying to serve a perfect God. So, Father, may you help those who are struggling this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, a little bit of a recap. I believe that Corinth is, uh, it's not much different than Phoenix in a lot of ways, and maybe even our neighborhood. So as a little bit of a, of a recap, they were a wealthy city. They had everything pretty much that money could buy. But those of you that don't have it, wish you had it. Those of you who have it, you know that it doesn't really, it buys you things, but it can't buy you family. It can't buy you peace. It can't buy you love. It can't buy you uh, any of those things. Yet in the middle of that, God called out a church. Calvary Chapel Central Phoenix. God's called out his people to uh, worship in a specific location and to do a specific work for him, just as he did there in Corinth. They were just ordinary people. They were just folks. The one thing that I love about Calvary Chapel Central and has, has kept me here as, uh, with my church family is that I believe Calvary Chapel Central is made up of just ordinary folks. We're just, we're just folks. We, we get up in the morning, we do our best to follow the Lord. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail. But a bunch of hardworking, normal people <laughs> who love the Lord and doing their best to love Him and serve Him and uh, to the best of their ability and to share Jesus with as many people as they, pop- probably, as they possibly can. Now, there in Corinth, they probably 
Those folks probably never ventured, the majority of them, and I'm saying all of them, but the majority of them probably never ventured more than 100 miles from home. So Corinth was all they knew. And for many of us, it might have been the same way. I know that for me, going to Glendale, when I was a kid, going to Glendale was a big trip, right? We lived in Peoria, so getting to go to Glendale, going to J.C. Penney's at Glendale, you know, that was like a, a big deal. Or going to the, the bus depot and playing pinball machines, right? Those, that, those were big things for us. And maybe you had a similar growing up, you get a little older, maybe you travel a little, little bit. But for them, most of them hadn't traveled much. But Jesus had come. God built that church. Paul had gone in. Paul had ministered to them. He kind of became their spiritual father. So they at least had a, an understanding of a better way to live. Every time we go to church, every time you hear a sermon, every time you hear a teaching on the radio or on the internet, you're given an opportunity for a better life. Well, at least that's the way it should be. That no matter what your life is like now, God can change it if you will allow him to. They had been given an understanding that there was a better way to live. And as a result of that, when God comes into the life of a Christian, he gives them giftings. You guys might not realize that if you are a born-again believer, you're gifted. You're gifted. God's given us what we need to be able to function in a dying world. He's given us what we need to be able to stand for the Lord in a dying world. Do we always succeed at it? Not so much. But he's given us what we need. And yet, they're having a really tough time with it. And make no mistake, it doesn't matter the church, and it doesn't matter the size of the church, there are those who are having a tough time adjusting. Being able to put away the old life, put away the old habits and the old things and give them to God and become a new creature in the Lord. That seems to take a while for us to do that. Now I want you to consider, for many of us, some of you were raised in the church, but a lot of you weren't. And you spent how many years? 20 years learning how to be a good sinner? Right, 30 years? Some 40 years? got real good at it now all of a sudden they tell you about Jesus they challenge you for Jesus you give your heart to Jesus and you've got 40 years of bad training 30 years of bad training whatever it is you've got all of that bad training and a lot of times our knee-jerk reaction when we're in a situation is to do what we know what we've been trained to do for many, many, many years. Getting to the place where we turn to Jesus first. Learning to understand that it's not always how we feel. You know, I think that's a sad thing that people have picked up today and it's on the TV all the time. Go with your heart. Don't go with your heart. Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will end up not following Jesus, doing what it wants to do, instead of doing what the Lord asks you to do, unless your heart is sold out to Jesus. And you can follow your heart. But if it's just left up to us, we're going to end up doing things we've always done. So, there was division and backbiting going on in the church, which will ruin a church. 
Incest was being accepted and it was being tolerated. Christians were suing each other in the pagan courts. There was a great deal of sexual sin going on in and around the church. The divorce rate was high. There was much dishonor within existing marriages. And even the Lord's Supper was being made a mockery of. Wow. Has it gotten to the point where church, and and I pray that that's never the case, but that church isn't distinct, that it's not separate, that it's not different than the world. But you know, the divorce rate amongst Christians is pretty close to the same as it is with non-Christians. And I believe the reason for that is this, this teaching, love. We've accepted the world's version of what love is. We've kind of bought into it even though that we haven't, we don't think that we've bought into it. We don't understand this kind of love, this depth of love. How do you understand a man that's willing to die for you to take away your sins even though we know we have them? Somebody who's willing to give up absolutely everything to be what we need him to be. How do, you, how do you get that? How do you understand that? There's not much around us that we can point out and say, yeah, that's, that's like that. That's a depth of love that if we could master that. Now, let's, let me take that word away. We're serving the master and the master helps us develop that kind of love. That's what holds people together. That's what gives us the ability to make correct decisions. That's what gives us the ability to discern when something is off base. You hear something and you go, that's nuts. Have you noticed? (laughs) I shouldn't even ask that question. I know you've noticed. Right is wrong and wrong is right. It's insanity. I mean, it's, it's insanity. You look at this stuff and you're going, there's no logic in this at all. There's, there's no logic, there's no sanity in some of the decisions that are made unless there's a, an agenda behind that which is not godly. So they were having a hard time doing this and I can't think of a better scripture that really kind of sums this up, if you will. It's out of Ephesians chapter four starting in verse 21. It says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in what? It's only there. You won't find it in another human being. You won't find it in drugs and alcohol. You won't find it in position. And you won't find it with popularity. It doesn't exist there. The truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that you put off... Concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the the deceitful lusts. Now, you know, let me go back to this. That you put off. What happens when you put off something? What happens when you take your coat off? It's not on you anymore, right? It's somewhere else. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Put it off. Put it off. Unlike the coat, we can go back and put it back on. We're not supposed to go back and put on those sins. 
We're not supposed to go back and do those things that we know that we're not supposed to do. Verse 23, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind. What does that mean? Who's the spirit of our mind if we've accepted Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit. Be renewed by that. We may have had 20 years. We may have had 40 years to learn how to do bad things. But we can learn how to do the right things. We can learn how to do the right things. God hasn't left us without giftings. He hasn't left us without hope. Verse 24, and that you put on this new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. Isn't it amazing that God looks at us when we become Christians as righteous and holy? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. If that's not a paradox, I don't know what is. You know why he does? Because you have Jesus. You will never be perfect, but you have a perfect God residing in you. And when the devil comes to condemn, Jesus says, Dad, that one's mine. I know they're not perfect, but I love them. I love them. Therefore, here it is, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Lying. Seems like such a small thing, doesn't it? People lie all the time. It's become part of nature, hasn't it? But we're not supposed to lie. You know what works better than lying? Yes, no. It just, it just works. It's a, it's a good thing. You guys, some of you remember answering machines, right? <laughs> You know, when you're, when you're not available, just say, hey, we, we don't want to answer the phone now. We're busy. We're answer, we don't want to answer the phone. We'll call you back as soon as we can. That's honest, isn't it? The phone rings. Is your mom there? Mom's over there. No. Well, yes, you are, mom. Yeah, she's here going like this. And she doesn't want to talk to you right now. She's busy. She'll call you back. Why, why do we feel we got to make something up? as human beings speaking the truth let each one speak that truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another (laughs) the world's trying to divide us over everything I mean you name it they want to divide us They want to divide us over economy. They want to divide us over who has the most money, who gets the most money. They want to divide us over color. They want to divide us over absolutely everything. That is, pick my word a little differently, that's ridiculous. We're all part of the human family, right? That's it. Plain and simple. And you guys have heard me say over and over and over and over again, if being white is more important to you than being in love with Jesus, you're wrong. If you're purple, and you're more proud of being purple than you are being a Christian and loving Jesus, you're wrong. Now, am I saying don't appreciate your heritage? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Be proud of your heritage. But let's give each other the space to be proud of that. 
There is no one in here that's any better than anyone else. Not one individual except Jesus Christ. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same place. And the sooner we begin to express that love to people, the better off we're going to be. God has just put in my heart lately to be more kind, to just be more kind to people. And, you know, that person that's behind the the checkout stand at Circle K or wherever it's at, they probably don't want to be there. They'd probably rather be somewhere else. It doesn't take much to say hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good to see you today. It doesn't take much to do that. But sometimes we, we go in, we get what we want, and boom, you know, we're gone. It just, it just doesn't take much to be kind to people. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. In other words, you can be angry, but don't misrepresent Jesus in the anger. You can be angry. You wouldn't be human if you didn't get angry once in a while. Or hangry. About 11.30, you guys will start getting hangry. But here's my point. It's not okay to release that on somebody. Go in a closet and yell if you have to. Go for a walk. But not sin. What does that mean? Sin means to miss the bullseye. The bullseye is Jesus. So we can be angry. We can be human. We can have those feelings. In fact, I think a lot of times as Christians, we feel bad if we express any human emotion. We think that if somebody comes up and stabs us, we're going to, supposed to say, bless you, my son. I think it's a wrong thing to put Christians in a place where you don't allow them to be human. You get news, and it's bad news. You're going to hurt. But don't bleed on everyone. That's, that's the key. That's the key. What do I mean by that? Don't take it out on everyone else. It's okay to be sad. You have a few close friends to be able to share that with and they can pray with you. That's the way it's supposed to work. But don't blame every single person in the world because of what's just happened. I have no doubt that there's a few of us sitting here this morning. We're still holding on to pains. We're, we're, we're holding on to something that may have happened five years, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We're still hanging on to that. Scripture says, don't let the sun go down on that anger. Now, anger and wrath are, are a little bit different, kind of two colors in the rainbow. Anger is being mad. Wrath is malicious. You know, there's, a, there's kind of a violent um, element to wrath. So, don't let the sun go down. What does that mean? Okay, I've got the, let's see, when does the sun go down? Just five o'clock. It's winter, it's summer. I can't figure out when the sun goes down. That's not what it means. You know what it means? Solve it as quickly as possible. Because if you don't solve it as quickly as possible, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be this little seed planted of hatred and anger. 
And that puppy, if you don't deal with it, it's going to grow. It's going to have all the elements it needs to be able to grow. And something that started out small is going to end up being something really big. And it's going to affect how you view people, the way you treat people, the way you just do life. It's going to affect that. That's why the Lord says try to get rid of that as soon as you possibly can. Take that thing. Put it in a bundle. You know, a lot of the Christmas gifts today, they, they put a, just that wrapping paper around the outside and put a big bow on it. Put that in a big bow and put it on the altar and set fire to it. <clears throat> let me tell you, and let me warn you, you may have to do that more than once. But take that and put it on the altar and say, Jesus, I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to do this and I don't want to hurt people. But you know what we say? Well, yeah, but. No, none of that. No justification. They did this to me first. They did this. Let that go. Who cares? All right. 27. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole, steal no more. But rather, let him work, labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who, to him who has need. In other words, productive. Be productive. Be productive so that you not only have enough to, to survive, but you got a little extra so you can help out somebody else when it's at all possible. That takes ambition. Takes ambition. It takes fighting your flesh when the alarm goes off. <laughs> it takes that whole thing of just wanting to sit on the couch and watch TV and eat bonbons. Right, That whole thing, you have to push all that aside and say, I've got, I've got a job to do. I've got things to do. And it's not just about me. It's about other people. It's about other people. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Unwholesome word, we know what that is, right? That, those filthy words. It always takes me aback when you're talking to a Christian and, and they, they use some foul word. Now, everybody's human, right? I'm not judging anybody for that, but it just kind of takes me back a little bit. I'm kind of like, wow. Used to hear that in the bars. Used to hear that in the clubs. Used to hear that around people that were not saved. When, when it's like, it's such a small thing to give to God, right? Isn't it a small thing to give to God? And if we got past eighth grade, we probably could pick a different word, right? You ever watch the show and they come out with these words and you're going, you could have done the whole show without any of that. That wasn't necessary. It didn't add to the show. It didn't make the show any better. And then it says, what is good for necessary edification? Building up other people. Here's the thing. In Christianity... (laughs) This is going to sound strange, but it's not about us. It's not about us. All of those early disciples figured that out real quick, right? When the world turned against them. It wasn't about ease. It wasn't about comfort. It wasn't about riches. It wasn't about anything. It was all about Jesus. So our faith is supposed to be outward. You know why? Because I believe it works like this, and I think Scripture substantiates this. And that is that if we're putting Jesus first, he'll take care of his kids. He'll take care of his kids. 
We don't have to worry about all that. God will take care of his kids. How many of you that you're a good parent, that's one of your first priorities is taking care of your kids, taking care of your family. Our father will take care of us if we take care of his kids. It, it, just, it just works that way. So we have to realize we don't need to beg God all the time for this or for that. We need to be praying for other people, being, being uh, benevolent to other folks, and God will take care of, it, of us. So what is necessary for building up that it may impart what is? What is this? Impart grace to the hearers. What's grace? It's not what, it's, 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 it's not getting what we do deserve. Well, what do we deserve? <laughs> we live in a world now where people deserve everything, right? I deserve to not work. I deserve to not have this. I deserve to get this. I deserve to get that. The reality of it is, if we were left in the state that we were in as enemies of God, you know what we would have gotten? Death. Nothing. He reached in because we gave him our life. He took us out of that. So, impart grace. Give grace to the brother or the sister who stumbles. Forgive them when maybe they don't deserve it. If we wait until we feel like somebody else deserves to be forgiven, it's going to come really, it's going to take a long time if it comes at all. We forgive because that's what Jesus did. And I firmly believe sometimes the heart has to come later. Doing the right thing has to be done and the heart changes when we forgive. And look at this, guys. How can we not forgive when God's forgiven us of absolutely everything? Who, it's almost like putting ourselves in a position over God. We're the God of our life. I won't forgive I'll continue this charade. I'll continue this hurt. I'll continue this hate. That's putting ourselves in a position above God because God says, when we say, God, I'm sorry, He forgives. Why, Why do we think that we're in a place where we can withhold that? That's not love. Okay, and He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It grieves God. It hurts the Lord. Let all bitterness, if you're bitter, let it go. Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking to be put away from you with all malice. Let it go. Whoever we were, we don't have to be now. And if we pick that back up after we become Christians, that's, a, that's not good. God set us free of that. Let's not pick it up again and be kind to one another. Just kind, just nice. Everybody is so ready to fire off. Being kind doesn't cost a lot. Just be kind to one another, tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, but tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, here it is, even as God in Christ, what? Even as he forgave you. So here they were, they were gifted people. They lacked in no gift, but they didn't know how to love. 
Jesus is going to tell us that when the Holy Spirit came, he gave us tools to work with, the spirituals, if you will, that we call gifts. But he says here in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. They had the gifts, they didn't have the love, and the gifts are useless without love. All right, spend a little time on that, but let's move on in. Love, charity, the New King James, excuse me, the King James will translate love as charity, but it's not really a good translation because charity meant something a little different in 1611 that it means today. And as you guys know, I mean, if you've heard any message on love uh, through the church, you know that the Greeks had three loves, uh, three words for love. The first one was eros, from where we get erotica, or erotic, or sexual love. It's not mentioned in the New Testament at all. It's not, that word for it is not mentioned here or translated that way. The second one is phileo. You guys, what do they call Philadelphia. The city of brotherly, brotherly love. So that's the love that you have, the friendship that you have where you love somebody. But the word, the most important word is the word agape. And that's what we see here in chapter 13 throughout the New Testament. It is agape. It is also the word from where we get our word agony. Interesting, huh? Love hurts. Love is sacrificial. Did we not learn that by seeing Jesus on the cross? Did he not suffer to show us love? Why do we think that love is you treating me nice? Not me treating you nice. We see that word, and I'll give you a couple of places where we see it. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the deepest kind of love he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life it speaks of self-denial they always use agape when the will was involved in other words the decision to love there's going to be times when your heart says hate Keep it going. You're justified. But the Lord's saying, let go. That's a decision, and it hurts for a while. But it's still the right decision. It's more than emotion. Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Ah, now I got us. Now he's got us. You see, in a marriage, there will be times when your spouse is your enemy according to your heart. So he says, even love your enemies. That's a decision to love when you don't want to love, when you don't feel like loving. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. But he decided to 
because it was necessary. And if a husband and a wife could get to the place to where they can forgive and not let that bitterness sit in, there would be a lot less divorces. There would be a lot less rifts in the church because people would be godly and love. Please understand, I'm not saying you don't have the right to be angry or to be hurt. You do. But don't let it sit there. Do something with it that's godly, not just fleshly. Love your enemies. Bless those who what? Curse you. Okay, good. Thank you. Do good to those who what? (laughs) And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Feelings will say no. Agape says yes. How many times have maybe you've been in a fight or you've been in an argument and you get past it and you look back on it and you go, that was really stupid. What were we fighting over? Did it really matter? Because I would have turned left and she turned right. Does it really matter? And you know what? In the middle of that, Satan will come into it. And he'll plant all of this garbage. Because you remember, we had 20, 30, 40 years of learning to listen to him. And sometimes we don't know how to shut him up. It's during those times we need to say, God, I don't want to be like this. God, I don't want to feel like this. God, I want to be a Christian man, a Christian woman. I want to be godly. I want to do the right thing. And I know that that's going to hurt and it's going to humble me, but I know that's what I need to do. So give me the strength to do it. Like Thomas, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. And right now my heart's raging in another direction. And I need you, Lord, to give me that agape love. Peter had denied the Lord three times, swearing that he would never do so, even if it meant his life. And he had betrayed the person that he loved the most. And Jesus asked him, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me with that deep love? And what did Peter say? He goes, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You're a good buddy. You're a good friend. You know that I, you know, we're buddies. Hey, we're buds, you know. We're buds. What does he say to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. So he asks him again in John 21, 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you Agape me. And he goes, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I like you, Lord. I like you. What does he say? Same thing. Tend to my sheep. In other words, be about the ministry. Be about feeding and loving and caring. The third time the Lord comes to him in John 21, 17, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Do you even like me? Guys, I would say we've all heard this in our own head. John, do you really love me? Yeah, Lord. No, do you really love me? Oh, yeah. No, do you really love me? And what does 
what happens? Peter is so ashamed. He was so ashamed at the beginning that he couldn't get down to that level. He couldn't get to the agape level because his had not been the love of self-denial. I think it broke Peter's heart. But you know why God did it? You have to have your heart broken once in a while. You have to realize that you're not all that. (laughs) The world's trying to tell us that we're all that. You're not all that. We're not all that. doesn't matter who you are. All right, the gifts without love. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 1, 3. And uh, we will get out of here by dinner, I'm sure. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I've become like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You ever had a noise or a teapot or something go off and it just keeps going off? Maybe your alarm this morning just keeps going off and it keeps going off and it gets so annoying you could grab that and throw it against the wall, right? That's what he's saying. If we, have, if we use our gifts but they're not in love, they're, they're just like a noise going off all the time. A seatbelt, right, that somebody didn't put on. Beep, 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 beep. You can put up with that for a little while, but after a while, you're like, look, open the door and jump out. I don't want you in the, <laughs> I don't want you in the, in the car anymore. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains so that I could remove the mountains, but I do not have love. I'm nothing. We look at all those and go, man, I wish I could do that. That's kind of Superman-ish. But without love, it means nothing. You know why? All you got to do is look at the corruption in the world. Human beings are prone To love power and to love money. Love is the only thing that keeps you from becoming that individual. And stacking up as much as you can. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but if I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Deep love. The best kind of love. Now, the church was very proud of their gifts being able to use those. But it's, what, it's love that makes the gifts effective. You've all been, if you've given Jesus Christ your life, you're all gifted, but that gift is not gonna mean anything unless you love the people here. It means, it doesn't mean anything. They're gonna be used incorrectly or they're gonna be used for self-gratification, but it's gotta be a, a deep love for Jesus Christ. Many desire to teach, but... Is it out of love or is it self-love or is it the love of teaching instead of love for those who are being taught? What did he say to Peter? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The same could be said for worship. Does it come from a deep love for the Lord and his church or a deep love for music and performance? That is such a hard thing for musicians to get, to figure out. It's not the same. And if you've been playing in the bars and clubs for years and it's always been performance, there's a transition that has to take place where you realize it's not about that anymore. It's not about that. Sunday morning worship, it's a, it's a whole new thing dedicated 
to God. And it takes a little while sometimes for people to understand that. It's not about you. It does, it's just not about us. The greatest teacher is useless without love. He or she may be the greatest speaker and a mastery of the human language, but sacrifice has never made up for love. David expresses that in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, for you do not desire what? You do not desire sacrifice. God doesn't desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in the burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit. It's okay to have a broken spirit once in a while because it humbles us to realize that we're nothing without Jesus Christ. A broken and a contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. It's kind of like the husband treating his wife. You guys have heard me say this before. Treats his wife like a dog six days a week and on Friday on the way home he buys flowers. Not going to make up for it, is it? And it works the other way. A wife treating her husband poorly. Treating each other poorly. Just Just as family. Treating each other poorly. Agape love for Jesus is the only thing that will keep us from sin. All the threats or fear of punishment or going to hell, that's not going to change any of us. You know what changes us? It's God's love. When we finally realize how much we're loved by the Lord, man, it breaks you. It breaks you. Okay, what love is not? Look at verses 4 through 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Please don't forget the last part of that. Love suffers long and is kind. If you're married, if you have kids, if you work a job, you understand that you suffer long sometimes. We're born in a broken world. That's just, that's just the way it is. That's what God says. We're, we're in a broken world. But it does, it's still kind in the middle of that. It's not the boss's fault that we have to work. Look at the next part of that. It says love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Now as I go through this, you can put Jesus' name instead in the place of love and it all fits. But if you put your name in there, it doesn't fit so much. It does not behave really, doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in somebody else's sin or even their own sin, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, it endures all things, love never fails. Now this is the agape love. But whether they're prophecies, someone has a, operate in the gift of a prophetic knowledge or teaching of the word, it says it's going to fail. Hold on a minute. Whether there's tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But agape suffers long and is patient and kind. Remember Peter? He came to the Lord again. You know, I can identify. I love Paul. I'd like to be able to identify with Paul, but identify more with Peter. He has kind of foot and mouth disease. You know, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. And Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? Yeah, he thinks he's got it. I got it wired down. 
because most people never forgive. And I'm, I'll forgive seven times. And what does the Lord tell him? He gives him an astronomical number. You know why he does that? Because it's forgiveness, has no, it doesn't have a limit on it. It doesn't have a once, it doesn't have a twice, it doesn't have seven, or seven times seven, or 70 times seven. Forgiveness is something that we as Christians must give because our Savior gave it. Now, here it is. Be kind. If we grumble and we hate the process, it's not agape. Right? If we grumble and we're we're upset about the fact that we need to forgive and it's not really there, godly love must decide to let it go. Not always easy, guys. It doesn't envy. It's not jealous. Somebody gets a new car. We should be like, praise God, that's awesome. Somebody gets a house, you know, awesome. That is so awesome that you're able to do that. The kid gets a scholarship to to college. Man, that's an incredible deal. But you know, there's something in the human brain that goes, look at the way they parked that car. Three parking spots. They slid in sideways because nobody would, they didn't want anybody to touch that new car. That's not what we're supposed to be. There's going to be a lot of things in life that we think are unfair. But our love for the Lord will bring contentment for where we're at. There's always a ministry. There's always a person. There's always someone that's got, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. Their house is bigger. They think they're better than us. (laughs) That's always going to happen in life. No matter what, it's always going to happen. But real ministry and real love smells of blood and pain. Now, pastor, why did you say that? I'm so excited now. Well, because what happened to Jesus? It doesn't parade itself. It doesn't brag. You ever been with somebody, you sit down and and the entire time all they do is talk about themselves? All they do is talk about their new stuff, their new this, their new that. I mean, it's not just a casual, hey, I, I picked this up. It's like, I'm wonderful and you should know that. So I'm going to spend this entire time we're together letting you know how wonderful I am. And I'm not even going to ask you how you are because I don't care. Jesus never showed off. He never bragged. G. Campbell Morgan says this, love that talks of love is not love. If anyone is constantly protesting to me that they love me, I begin to have doubts. <laughs> 1 Timothy 2.9, in like manner also that the women ordain themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, the reason for that was a lot of the prostitutes at the time, they overdid it, you know, with all of the stuff that they put on to attract men. And he's trying to encourage people to have an inward beauty, an inward beauty. There is nothing as attractive as inward beauty. And I hate to use the word beauty for a man, but it's the same with a guy. A guy that knows where he's going, where he's headed, loves the Lord, 
and he's humble enough to admit when he's wrong. First Peter 3 and 4, 3, 3 and 4 says, Don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on the fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. If we are holding bitterness this morning, you're ugly. I know that hit hard, right? And I'm sorry. But it would apply to me too. Can't wash that away on the outside if we're ugly on the inside. We can't wash it away. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. Alan Redpath says that this kind of love is never self-satisfied nor contemptuous of other people. It doesn't have to put on airs. It doesn't have to, to, to try to be bigger than they are. You've seen these hot air balloons, right? They come packed in a little trailer and then pretty soon they're pumping it full of hot air and it just gets bigger and bigger. We as Christians are not supposed to be full of hot air. It doesn't behave rudely. Sometimes people can say brutal things in the name of honesty. Well, I'm just being honest. Oh, thank you very much. You're ugly. I can lose weight, but you're going to be ugly forever. You guys heard that story before, that joke, I'm sure. But being brutally honest, why do you need to be brutally honest? You don't need to be brutally honest. We should be encouraging one another. Doesn't seek its own. A lot of times, and guys, we don't really realize this sometimes, but even our friendships are about us. It's about what we get out of the friendship. We're friends with somebody because of what we can get out of the friendship. We're not friends with them because we want to be something to them. We want to, we want to be a good friend to them. It's not provoked. Some scriptures say easily provoked, but I think that's a cop-out. It's not in the original text. In other words, agape love is not thin-skinned. Everybody's thin-skinned, not everybody. A lot of people are thin-skinned today. You can't say anything. They just, they'll get mad at you for just showing up. But love, true love like this. I can't say true love without thinking of Princess Bride. I'm sorry. Okay, it thinks no evil. If you haven't seen the movie, Rent Princess, Princess Bride. It's, it's a classic. You need to watch it. it. thinks no evil. It doesn't keep a ledger. It doesn't keep a ledger, ledger of right or wrongs. Example, husband and wife get in a tiff. Well, you've done this for the last 12 years. See here? I got a paper here somewhere. I got the dates and I got the times that you did the same thing. That's keeping a ledger. That's... taking into wrongs that I've suffered. Who hasn't suffered here? Who hasn't suffered? I know most of you and every one of you have suffered in one way or another. Are we going to chalk those up and make someone pay for that? Someone who maybe isn't even responsible for it? Come on, that's not Christianity. If anybody had a right to say, I won't go to the cross because these people are flat out evil. 
They're like herding a bunch of cats. They don't do anything I say. They won't do anything I say. If anybody had the right to say, I won't go to the cross, it would have been Jesus. But he forgave those. Went to the cross anyway. All right. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity. We already covered that. It bears all things. It endures all things. How many times do we say, well, that's the last straw? Is it? Not according to this. There's no limit to the straws. Well, that's 70 times 7. So? (laughs) Bears all things. It believes all things. This is not stupid love. This is not blind love, which a lot of people say that love is blind. If that's the case, maybe that accounts for the divorce rate. But it believes the best in someone. If someone falls, you, you, don't, you don't stomp on them. You build them up. You encourage them. You're better than this. You can do this. And I love you no matter what. All right. So I'm going to close with this. Verse 8. Love never fails. Prophecies are going to fail. Tongues are going to fail. All of this other stuff, all the gifts, all of the tools are not going to be necessary. They were given to us to survive this life. But it's not going to be necessary when that which is greater comes, which is Jesus Christ. We won't need the tools anymore. So all of that stuff is going to fade. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 10, For we now know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, um, then that which is in part will be done away with. We won't need it. We just won't need it. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. Have you seen some of these cute videos? There's some videos out there where you have a little one that's like two years old, right? Talking to their dad or talking to their mom. And it's just gibberish. It's just gibberish. And the mom and dad will give gibberish back. And then the kid does more gibberish. And they go back and forth like this. And sometimes the child, two years old, they're all animated and they're doing... That's, that's kind of... <laughs> That's kind of us. That's kind of us. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Men and women, have we become men and women? Have we put away those childish things? Have we grown up? Or is it still like the grade school playground? Somebody's mad at me, I'm mad at them. They don't even have to be mad at you at that age. They can be mad at your friend, Right? They're mad at my friend, therefore I'm mad at them. All right. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We're going to see him face to face. Now I only know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Remember that phrase from uh, Avatar? I see you. I see you. I'm looking at your hurts. I'm looking at your pains. I see you. I know you're trying. I know your struggles are real. And I know that you hurt. I just want you to know that I'm there for you. Like I said, if you go back and you put Jesus in the middle of all this, it all fits. 
But when I go back in and I put John in the place of love, it doesn't fit. <laughs> 